Hi, this is Anne Philippi, founder of The New Health Club. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. And we think that the future is already here. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of The New Health Club Show. The principle of decentralization is becoming obvious in our society and will be even stronger in the future. In the way, cryptocurrency is disrupting our traditional currencies and presents a decentralizing force, the healthcare system shows similar signs of decentralization. The company Journey Clinical, meaning Jonathan Sabak and Miriam Barth, my guests today, are a very good example how this is happening in the health sector. VCs named Journey Clinical as one of the top 15 startups in the psychedelic field, as Business Insider reports in 2021. Journey Clinical, working with clinicians from Harvard and MAPS, is creating the first decentralized ketamine clinic in a new psychedelic field. So psychotherapists are able to offer treatments in their own practice, while Journey Clinical manages the pharmacology behind the scenes, offering ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Miriam describes the new clinical system as a triangle. In the first corner is the patient. In the second, the journey clinical doctor who is able to prescribe and administer the ketamine. In the third corner is the journey clinical member psychotherapist, vetted and often independent, who works with the patient after the treatment. Jonathan describes the company as a one-stop shop, where all the required treatments get offered to you. Which means, as a patient, you would not have to run around to physicians, psychiatrists or therapists who would eventually contradict each other in their diagnose, or where at least one party would not be open to ketamine therapy, which might be a disadvantage for the patient in the end. Journey Clinical works as your new psychedelic in-house doctor, trustworthy but independent from an often innovation-unfriendly national healthcare system, if that even exists in a country where you live. Jonathan and Miriam are both Swiss and married to each other, which makes this an interesting company. And I mean, being Swiss and married to each other makes it interesting. Both have a background in finance and both have experienced how their lives have transformed with psychedelics. Jonathan, working in hedge funds, suffered from a heavy burnout and undiagnosed PTSD and addiction condition. He looked into an ayahuasca and MDMA experience, worked on himself, and finally was able to change his life six years ago. Miriam is a firm believer in plant medicine, and she had her own psychedelic healing story, which she talks about in the podcast. We talk about how therapists join the Journey Clinical Network, can access educational videos, then join peer consultation groups, and then can start referring patients to the ketamine therapy. We address how ketamine can support tapering of antidepressants that patients still need to take. How repressed feelings and underlying topics of patients made their way to the top during COVID, which amplified people's crisis and depression even more. And how, with a few ketamine-assisted psychotherapy sessions, things start to bubble up that were suppressed for a very long time. And of course, we talk about how the modern psychedelic clinic can look like very soon. Please enjoy the show Jonathan and Miriam. Yeah, amazing to have Journey Clinical on the show. I have to be honest, I just realized in a couple of days researching about the company that what a super interesting and very, very um, needed concept you guys actually are approaching. I mean, I always knew that you guys were superstars already in the field because everybody knows you and everybody <laughs> introduces me to you. So, But I mean, um, I just, of course, I saw you were in the ketamine field and connecting therapists to ketamine treatments or to clinics. But honestly, now that I read, I mean, there's not that much available, I have to say, so far online, but I mean... I think this is the number one topic, actually, that nobody really seems to address. Um, so that how actually, let's say, normal therapists can get into the psychedelic game and um, kind of open themselves up to psychedelic treatment. So, but it's better if you guys explain this instead of me. So, please. Sure thing. Yo, thank you very much, and thanks for having us. It was lovely to meet you in person. 
I think you hit the nail on the head. Essentially, what we looked at was how to best support mainstream adoption of psychedelic therapies. And what we found was that the best um, distribution network was psychotherapists, both small practices or medium practices and independent therapists. And we started to consider what were the main barriers to entry for mainstream adoption. And what we found was that it was essentially access to partnering with medical teams that took on the medical aspect of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Therapy. There's very few doctors out there that do it, uh, and those relationships can be strained, tenuous, uh, hard to form, and therefore they're forced to refer out. And we feel that the best way, aside from simple, simple distribution, also the best way to administer these treatments uh, is as an adjunct to therapy within the context of, you know, a therapeutic alliance with an existing therapist. And so what we've created is a telehealth platform that enables psychotherapists to incorporate psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And when I say that, I mean legal psychedelics. So that's ketamine now, but it will be MDMA, psilocybin, you know, what else will be coming down the FDA approval uh, in the next few years. Uh, and, you know, what we do is take on all the medical aspects. So we take on eligibility, prescriptions, outcome monitoring, uh, the way it works is psychotherapists refer their patients back to us or we refer patients back to them. We, we take them in for a one-hour intake. We take full medical, psychiatric history. We'll send them a little bit of ketamine at home. They come back for dose adjustment and we see them at a minimum four times a year. So we're really, uh, you know, that's on the patient side. On the therapist side, uh, we support a collaborative care model where, you know, we'll help them essentially build bespoke treatment plans at scale. So it's a care management system in that context. And that's the decentralized clinic model, if you like. And, you know, on top of that, we're a telehealth platform. So they get access to a whole suite of offerings once they join our network. Uh, you know, we've got uh, online education that Fluence designed for us. We've got uh, a variety of offerings like peer consultation. You know, we help them out with resources. So it's really like a, a one-stop shop where they can plug in and start offering the treatment. What we're not is a online ketamine clinic. Essentially, when we looked at drivers of mainstream adoption of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, we found that there's three buckets. There is Policymakers like MAPS, although one could argue that they're now also a drug dev company, drug dev companies like Compass or USONA, and education. And there is no industry where companies like these successfully fully verticalize all the way to the patients. And so what we offer essentially is a delivery mechanism for these treatments that enable the psychotherapist to become a distribution network, and that pushes mainstream adoption. Okay. So just... To, to break this down. So let's say you're a classic psychotherapist and you start reading, okay, now psychedelics will come into the therapy game and you say like, okay, I would like to offer this in my practice or at least have a possibility for my patients if they say, I would like to look into ketamine because I read every day in the New York Times about it, for example, which really has increased, I feel like, um, in, in the last couple of months, especially in terms of ketamine. So, and then they could get in touch with you and you would say, okay, so how would you guys take over then their requests or their, their, their engagement, their wish for engagement? It's a fairly straightforward process and it's intended to be easy to use. And so once they join the network, we offer them um, first our online educational videos. They join peer consultation groups and then they start referring patients. And so in that way, the patient referral process is very straightforward. We take it over from there. So that means if they refer the patient, but does it mean the patient would like you described earlier, would first of all have a treatment at home or would be referred to a other ketamine clinic that does also maybe our ketamine, like the intravenous variation? How would that look like? So we are the doctor, 
doctors yeah. work for okay. Journey. They, they work for Journey mm-hmm. Clinical. So we employ a whole mm-hmm. medical team. You know, our medical staff okay. is yeah. uh, composed of you know our medical director is an MD PhD from Harvard who ran a uh, MDMA site. Uh, our lead clinician uh, is uh, from Maps. She is also a professor at Georgetown University and is the clinician at Maps's New York site. Uh, so we're 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 essentially we've structured a whole medical staff, and so that's how we guarantee access. Mm-hmm. to a medical team because we are the medical team. So you can circle back from the patient referral, right? Once they yeah. send a patient, it's in our hands to see the patient for an intake session. In that intake session, yeah. they go through the medical history, the psychiatric history, and other areas. And at the end of the session, only then is the decision of the treatment plan and dosing and what is right for the patient decided. We become their in-house doctor. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Just an in-house psychedelic doctor, basically. I think more think of us as like, you know, like if you look at systems, like like healthcare systems, that's how we operate at a systems level. So they plug into like almost like a ho- larger hospital system where they have medical protocols and we, are, we have a very robust, um, uh, essentially care management system that enables them to plug in mm-hmm. very safely, uh, you know, uh, administer these treatments in a controlled setting uh, so that they can expand their offering in their practice. So we take on mm-hmm. that aspect. So instead of having them to form an idiosyncratic relationship with a doctor that they found and that creates a dependency, if you know they're going to keep that relationship going, it's also expensive. We're also very cheap, by the way. We're substantially below market. So thanks to our model, we're able to reduce costs for patients as well, which is a big deal. It's interesting you bring it up with the dependency on a doctor. I mean, that whole topic has become something that we hear often where people who are actually interested in that kind of treatment, I'm not going to say they worry about this, but it's such an important relationship to that person who will become your doctor. I mean, um, and if that relationship is not working very well, then people will also pull back from, from the treatment sometimes I feel so. Um, but I find interesting that you guys have also these, the way of um, using lozenges that people can take at home. So, and that's for, I think for a lot of, I mean, in America, this is already like a kind of almost like a known model, but in Europe, this is still kind of wait. So they bring psychedelics at home. They, they send us to home. So maybe you can explain a little bit how this looks like when the lozenges come to your doorstep. An important question. So one thing to understand that's very important is that we only support people that are in a therapeutic relationship with journey members and journey members just so you understand we only work with licensed mental health professionals we don't work with coaches we don't work so that's already a huge layer so even earlier on when you were referring to the relationship with the doctor i'm not sure how it works in europe but here in america psychotherapists can't prescribe medication. So they partner with a doctor, but the doctor only takes care of medication management. They don't do the -hmm. therapy part. And so the psychotherapists are administering the psychotherapy, right? And so what we're supporting essentially is enabling the psychotherapist to offer and administer, well not administer, but facilitate this psychedelic assisted psychotherapy session in their practice. So you go to your therapist, you go in their office, or maybe you have a remote session and you do a CAPS session with your therapist in that context. That's what we're supporting at Journey Clinical. What we're not supporting is, you know, just sending ketamine to people and them doing self-led sessions uh, at this point. Uh, And, you know, the way we look at it is essentially people are in a therapeutic relationship with a Journey Clinical member psychotherapist. And, you know, they'll get a little bit of ketamine, they'll do a few sessions, but will be with their psychotherapist. We, on the back end of that, have follow-up consultations to sure that the outcomes are good, that the dose is correct. We also have ongoing communication with the psychotherapist to monitor that the therapy is going well and that we're supporting the therapeutic framework that they're uh, envisioning for for this patient. Uh, And so that's what we're doing. So it's very different from simply sending ketamine to people at home and then taking it and then doing an integration session with their therapist. We're essentially allowing the psychotherapist to facilitate the CAP session. This ties back into this idea of decentralized clinic. This is what this really means. And you can visualize it as a triangle. And 
each corner of the triangle, one, the first one represents the patient in the middle. And then on one side, you have the journey clinician doctor who prescribes the ketamine and does the medical aspect of the treatment. And on the other side, you have the member psychotherapist. And so this is a collaborative care model. And, and that triangle tends to help visualize that uh, decentralized clinic model. You say so many words that trigger um, very interesting questions. And for example, like the centralized model would be the one uh, where the whole OxyContin thing has happened in like in that show that's that's on right now about um, the OxyContin scandal, like a dope sick. And it's a centralized model of healthcare with a couple of doctors engaged in, in this big pharma um let's say, um, medication, then for the patient, it's be it becomes impossible kind of to change very quickly his direction or her direction. So that's why it's super interesting to work on a decentralized idea of this, I think. I mean, because like, like we said earlier, like often people have for a very long time, they have their doctor and it's this relationship that makes them trust in them for over like 10, 20 years. So, and I think this is totally disrupted right now because so many weird things also happen in that relationship sometimes. It's also a way to support small businesses. That That's a nice um, plus of this mm. approach is that you support independent practitioners, small practices, and you help them grow. And that that's part of this idea of decentralization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Jonathan, I read this one article about you where you talked about your personal journey that led you to psychedelics. Maybe you want to quickly talk about this before we ask Miriam how she got into this. <laughs> so we're both Swiss and we're married, uh, which is an interesting part of our dynamic. Um, my background is in finance. I spent 20 years working in hedge funds where I did multiple things. I you know, was in an analysis sales. I managed international teams, but I also built two businesses from the ground up. Uh, and I actually had a small stint in crypto. <laughs> Uh, and, um, when, when I was building that first business, I suffered a pretty substantial burnout, which turned out to be the result of undiagnosed complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, I really spent most of my life depressed and having addiction issues. Uh, and at that point really it turned out that I got under a lot of medication, a lot of therapy until about six years ago. Now I was introduced to ayahuasca and, you know, I did. 20 plus uh, traditional ceremonies. I started working with ketamine assisted psychotherapy for the past two, maybe two and a half years now. Uh, and all of that was very transformative for me. It allowed me to get off medication, to normalize my life, to even normalize my substance use through a combination of psychotherapy, harm reduction, and psychedelics and other tools. You know, to be fair, it's important to note that, you know, I'm also a yogi, I meditate, like these are all tools. Uh, and, and that, you know, aside from that, it prompted a career pivot. I, I felt a calling to be of service and decided to go back to school and study clinical psychology. And while I was in school, I started to feel the need to integrate my background as an entrepreneur with my goal of being a psychedelic therapist. And that's kind of the genesis of how Journey came to be. My, um, my journey, I would say, first of all, I like to call it more of like a healing journey. And I think psychedelics are a part of it. Um, that's not all all it is. I think there is a lot of other parts such as like, you know, nutrition and music and other like healing parts. And so when I think about my, my healing journey really started in 2012, I had a car accident in New York city and, um, you know, the doctor suggested surgery for my back, for my neck, for my knees, etc. I turned down all of the recommendations and decided that there was, there were other ways of healing, um, with a lot of physical therapy for a number of years. Um, that really helped regain range of movement. And then there was some physical pain that was left over and, and that I really couldn't. I saw a lot of doctors. There was really no way to um, get rid of it. <laughs> and um, Jonathan suggested, you know, why don't you try psychedelics? You never know at this point that might help. Um, and tried psychedelics. It was completely transformative. My pain, my physical pain went away. And I 
to, to this day, I don't entirely know how things work. But after that happened and when Jonathan, you know, came up with the idea of like, why don't we help this field? It felt very, very natural to want to be of service and to help. And, and the idea was really, how do we expand access? How do we make these treatments accessible for people who don't necessarily want to go in the woods with their friends, um, but actually want to remain in their lives and access this treatment and help remove some of the stigma also around it. And so that that's some of the motivation um, that I bring to journey. Okay. And then of course, the very important question that many people would, would have is how is it to work together as a married couple? <laughs> I mean, it must be incredible, right? I mean, also, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit psychedelic, I have to say. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> In what way? I mean, I think, you know, we were talking to one of our investors who, who pointed out that founders that are married have different challenges than founders who uh, just met or who are friends. And so some of the things that we already have, for example, are trust and established communication in ways that work for us and we don't have to develop from scratch. The flip side of that is that sometimes, you know, we disagree as, as life goes. And I think, you know, bringing a professional container, which is different than the personal container with disagreement and coming to, um, mutually beneficial conclusions that can help drive growth and the business, we tend to bring a bit more emotions into it because of the relationships. So it's a really fun, fun journey all around. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't do it any other way, really. Okay. Yeah. It's my favorite thing to work with my wife. I love it, really. Um, Amazing. And I love spending time with my wife. I think she's a wonderful person. And, you know, but of course, it's really challenging sometimes. Like, you know, you live together and we live in the same space and we work and although we're taking an office now, but until now we were working at home. So that was also intense. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard sometimes to understand where work begins and ends and where we get to be uh, partners uh, and husband and wife uh, again. And so that's a practice, I think. You know, it's, it's relearning a new type of relationship and integrating a new relationship in our existing relationship. And so in that context, it is uh, work. And, you know, we have support. We have a business coach. We go to therapy. We have like people that we, we are, that are mentors that are, that have been through a similar dynamic that help us as well. And, and we can talk to. And it really takes a village to sort of work through this. It's like you have a support team. And, you know, I, I think, I think it's a, it's, um, it's a reasonable, metaphor for what it is to build a venture backed startup is like, you know, athletes and it's an athletic, uh, it's a physical, mental, emotional journey. And so when you're doing that with your partner, it's wonderful because you, you trust each other and that's a big, big deal. And you have aligned goals and vision, you know, but then everything else that comes with it, it's your partner. So, you know, you can say everything, you, it, it can be harsher, it can be more dynamic. So, we live through that and we're growing with this experience. And ultimately, at least I personally feel we are um, a stronger couple for it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And for the anecdote, we started to build Journey Clinical on lockdown during COVID. <laughs> yeah. You can be sure if things work out after. I feel like a couple of companies started in exactly like March, April 2020, and they're still there. So, um, yeah, but let's, let's quickly come back to, to Ketamine because what I wanted to ask you is something that becomes a little more visible now also here in Berlin and Ketamine practices, um, is that people who are on medication, of course, would like to do psilocybin, but of course this is not possible on medication. So, um, let's say the, this model of using Ketamine as something to taper off the medication and then basically um, to bring the, the patient actually off medication with the help of ketamine so the patient could eventually do other 
psychedelic treatments to really kind of work deeper on a depression. So is this something that you guys observe that this becomes like a stronger, almost like trend? Or was it something that was always there that people kind of did, but nobody really talked about it? I, I think that this is a dangerous misconception, to be honest, that people believe okay. that you know, psychedelics are a panacea that are going to solve everything and that people are not going to need medication. That's just simply not true. Medication works and works for certain. Psychedelics are very useful in certain contexts, but not for everybody. And so that is a notion that needs to anchor in every the way we approach psychedelic treatments. Uh, and, you know, we'd like to believe that it is going to solve everything, but that's just not what's up. Uh, in that context, ketamine is an extremely effective treatment for people who have anxiety and depression, suicidality, uh, PTSD. It's even proving to be very effective for people with substance use. The people at Columbia are doing some awesome work on that. Uh, and so it is, you know, can be at certain doses as well psychedelic. Um, the simple neurological impact of ketamine on the brain uh, as an antagonist to NMDA receptors is very effective. It helps regulate the glutamate. So the medical, pure medical aspects of ketamine, you know, works. And those, a lot of the studies that are mostly on IV infusions are, seem to, to show that. The inclusion of psychotherapy, you know, we believe that the dissociative aspects of ketamine promotes um, cathartic events that really help work through whatever underlying causes uh, are causing psychiatric issues and working with a therapist to not only bring those up, but integrate them uh, on the back of that is essential to promoting long-term behavioral changes. And so in that context, ketamine is, you know, very effective for depression, for anxiety, uh, for suicidality. It, you know, MDMA is showing to be extremely promising for uh, PTSD, but also for, you know, marriage counseling. Um, you know, psilocybin seems to be very effective for depression. So all of these treatments, as we come on, we're ha we've got a whole suite of, of compounds that are going to probably essentially end up being a matrix of how we look at, you know, this is your, uh, this is your uh, condition, this will work well, and, you know, maybe combining them even uh, as we go forward. Uh, so that's, I think, the world in which we're heading, and also a whole slew of new drugs that are being developed that take the properties of psychedelics. You know, some are looking to make it shorter, some are looking to focus on certain properties. So it's going to be a fascinating time. But it's important to keep in mind that some people are still going to need antidepressants, some people are still going to need benzodiazepines. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And I think we as a company are very anchored in that notion. Okay. But if you read up on, on ketamine, then it's often, let's say, in articles saying that, okay, you could do ketamine while you're on antidepressants because it works on different receptors, whereas you cannot do, um, for example, go on a, on a high dose psilocybin trip while you're on antidepressants. So can you talk a little bit about how ketamine is I mean, I feel it's a very, um, almost like very flexible drug or like substance. Let's don't say drug. And I mean, it's also like, because I did, um, a therapy with, with ketamine in, um, in late 2021, because I couldn't leave the country, no 2020, because I couldn't leave the country to go back to the Netherlands. So, and I found it like, um, almost like an analytical support of, of connecting dots actually. So, so let's, let's say ketamine and LSD uh, seem to be a more rational way of working on things, but that's just my personal uh, experience. And the psilocybin experiences often like works on a completely different level. So um, what is your take on ketamine? If you would have to describe it to somebody that really just doesn't, I mean, just read about it and, um, wants to do it because they want to actually also leave medication because that's something that is very strong um, in the last year that we have a lot of people requesting, what can I do to get off medication? I'll start with the science and then 
talk about the experience, if that's okay. Yeah. So basically, mm -hmm. there's a theory called the glutamate theory of depression, where if uh, glutamate is not, uh, which is um, a, a neurotransmitter, not well regulated in your central nervous system, it's one of the physiological causes of depression, right? What ketamine does is that it's an antagonist to the neuroreceptor that gets the glutamate and MDA. And so like, if you think of like neuroreceptors, it's like a key. When it becomes antagonist, it locks that neuroreceptor. And what happens is that the neurotransmitter glutamate, which is uh, put out by, by you know, uh, the neurons, uh, it doesn't just get lost, it gets reabsorbed, right? And so that helps regulate uh, glutamate in the central nervous system. Uh, and so that is actually very effective at pretty immediately treating people who are feeling depressed and suicidal and anxious. So if you look at treatment-resistant populations who've done uh, IV infusions, actually within 24 hours of the treatment, you have like 54% that's become like instantly respondent to, uh, you know, ketamine as an infusion. And that's tremendous, right? Uh, so that's one part of how ketamine works. From an experiential component, if, you know, I think um, ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. And so if you were to compare ketamine to, say, you know, a psilocybin experience or an ayahuasca experience, which can sometimes be like really involved and very overwhelming. Um, ketamine, I felt at least, this is my personal experience, is a little, you know, less hot or a little more distant. So it's kind of like if you're watching all of this from afar, it also depends on dose very much. If you're doing low dose ketamine and you're having a psycholytic session, and what psycholytic versus psychedelic means just for context is psycholytic is where you're taking a low dose of you know ketamine, say, with your psychotherapist and you're having a talk therapy session. Psychedelic resembles more the model of what MAPS is doing, where you take a larger dose of psychedelics, go inward for a while, and then work on the integration after. Uh, and so, you know, that will very much influence how the experience is going to be, right? And so if you have a psycholytic session, it will probably, you know, lower defenses. That's what psychedelics do. And when I mean defenses, we have defense mechanisms uh, within that are created throughout our life to cope with situations. Psychedelics tend to be defense-lowering um, uh, drugs. And so when you're having a psycholytic session on a lower dose, it may be easier to, you know, access parts of yourself that you felt blocked, uh, and have realizations or cathartic moments. And when you're having a psychedelic session on a higher dose of ketamine, let's say you take a high dose of IM ketamine, for example, you mm -hmm. might experience clearly a psychedelic, um, experience. And so in that context, you know, things can pop up that can be very emotional. Uh, and there you'll work on integration after that with your therapist. Another experience that I've personally have, and it's kind of my personal theory about this, is because ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic, you, you, sort of feel disembodied very easily uh, with it, right? You feel that, you know, even your physical or the, the sense of your own body it goes away very fast, especially when you're going on higher doses. And so... And this is something we've we've actually observed uh, in our in, yeah. in our members. I was about to yeah. say that. Yeah. yeah, is that, and maybe you can actually touch on that after, like yeah. a few of the the experiences or accounts of some of our members. But mm -hmm. you know, um, when you're coming back, so like coming down, if you like, from the experience, there's a sense of like re-embodiment where you're, you know, when you're coming out of anesthesia, because it is an anesthetic, right? You start to feel your body again more and more. And so what that tends to do is have cathartic moments happen on the end of the sessions when people come to. And I, th one of the reasons I think, at least it's been my experience, uh, is that I think that it creates a bottom-up process uh, where essentially it gets you out of dissociation if you're feeling dissociated. And so that really brings up a lot of uh, of emotions, gets you in touch with things that you're repressing or dissociating from. And I've personally experienced that in a very powerful way where as I've practice really cap, I've started to try to be more and more present with that moment of re-embodiment. And so that has really brought up for me an, uh, an opportunity to come out of dissociation and really feel my emotions. And I think that's, maybe you want to share a little bit of the insights that we've got from some of our members and in, in, in these experiences. Yeah. I mean, this, this actually has been, this re-embodiment has been shared and, and people have noticed it quite a lot. We're in the moment of starting to feel your fingers again and your, 
your entire body. This is where a lot of the catharsis happen. And this is the moment that can be used in psychotherapy to then work through the content that has come up. What we have also seen with some of our member psychotherapists is, and this is typically after one or two sessions, is that people were fairly stuck. Like that, that has been like a common theme of people being stuck, um, especially with COVID, not feeling well, you know, depressed, anxious, as well as just stuck in general with their jobs, with their relationships. And after this session, you know, for, for a year, perhaps, all of this material is there, but kind of repressed and not talked about. And after one or two CAP sessions, which is fairly fast, all of a sudden the patients start to bring content around, you know, my job is not working, my relationship is not working, I don't understand. And so all of a sudden this like year of being stuck, all of this content starts to come out and you can work and they, they do a lot of integration sessions because all of a sudden they have all this material that can be worked through and the patient tend to report like feeling a little lighter and like more excited about life and more joy. And so it's pretty powerful to see that, especially at that kind of speed where for the therapists also who tend, you know, during COVID, they, a lot of them tended to feel a little bit burnt out um, because they had a lot of demands. People were feeling horrible. They were trying to be a support system. It, it was taking a toll on, on their, um, their practice. And so this gives them a lot of hope um, that, you know, as a practitioner, all of a sudden they have more tools and they can offer and they can bring themselves to the, to the session with more energy. And they're excited again about, you know, the prospect of like seeing their patient advance and heal and feel better. Like the impact is, it's not even linear. It's a little bit more like exponential <laughs> impact after again, like very few sessions. And so imagine if you combine this, you add more psychotherapy, that means you can start, you know, talking about each topic one at a time. And, and over time, I mean, it's quite substantial, uh, the impact. Yeah. I mean, I, th I feel like in 2020, especially in this year without vaccine nation, I couldn't cry. I didn't cry one single time because I was so controlled the whole time. And then it took a high dose of psilocybin <laughs> to make me cry again. So that it was that bad kind of so um but i mean uh, you, you were talking already about covid because that would be my next question because the numbers of people suffering from depression would actually as four times higher than before covid so is this something that people when people approach you um in terms of treatment specifically talking about their extreme difficulty in that time in most instances, it's it's a long-standing. I think COVID has been an amplifier of whatever the feelings are, you know. And so, mm -hmm. I don't think from what I've seen is specifically from COVID, but it's been like, oh, you know, over the last ten years, I haven't been feeling great, but I have been feeling awful in the last three years. So I think that the level of impairment <laughs> is substantially different. Yeah, I mean, there is there is, however, like data, and you know, obviously, like that. There's a hundred million people. Like there was 50 million people pre-pandemic. There's a hundred million people now suffering from depression and anxiety in America. And that's America alone. That's one third of the population. And that's just tremendous. So we're looking at a real mental health crisis right now. And, you know, these are, I mean, what we see is that the therapists that join our network are actually almost always full. And so there's a need for new psychotherapists. As soon as they start to add these treatments to their practice, they become like overbooked. So we have like a backlog of patients um, already like that we're, we're referring to people. And so that's been, you know, very impressive, very fast. Uh, and so that means, unfortunately, and quite sadly, that we're, we're facing huge repercussions to something that is probably traumatized you know, millions of people. I think we don't know yet. <laughs> I think we've been like paralyzed a little bit by fear with very primal instincts on, I need to stay alive. This is like the, the dominant feeling over, you know, a year or a little bit more. And so I think like the acceptance of what has happened and what is still happening is going to take a little bit more time. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lag where, you know, maybe in six months, maybe in a year, this is really when we'll start people kind of start to talk about what has been happening and how difficult this time has been. So I think, I think we don't know it yet. Yeah. I mean, I think that COVID has, uh, you know, 
created trauma in, in most of us. Like essentially, we're all hyper vigilant. We have feelings of powerlessness. Uh, you know, we are reliving moments. Like it's like it's 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 uh, there's a there's a huge um, conflict with people on how to protect themselves. Like it, it creates a lot of of dynamics that are have you know deeply affected our society. And I think Miriam is absolutely right when she's saying that we don't really know the clear repercussions of what this has uh, done uh, you know, to the world. Yeah, today I read this um, article in Germany in, in 2021. Um, the last time that in a year that many people died was right after the war. So, it, and that's like almost like you experience in a country something like the end of war. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it might have a similar PTSD moment afterwards in a way. And so. I, I think that all of us have experienced this differently. You know, um, I mean, our parents, uh, you know, and I'm very grateful for them live in a small town in Switzerland. And so that was a lot safer. Life was you know, not as affected. And that's great. I think people in larger cities uh, had a very different experience. You know, I, I know mm -hmm. that for us uh, in, in New York, you know, seeing New York empty and then having portable morgues and riots and stuff was like uh, super intense. I'm sure you had something similar. You're in Berlin, right? Uh, mm -hmm. In Berlin. So I'm sure that that was also like every large city like lived something that was yeah. very like densely populated areas uh, versus more rural areas had different dynamics. And I think that that alone is going to dictate how, how we all come out of this. Yeah. And, and here it's a very strange thing also happened that kind of, uh, right-wing movements in Germany merged with the anti-vaxxer movement. So that's another interesting development coming out of this. So it's, it's, it's a very weird um, mixture of events happening around that. But I mean, let's quickly come back to the company because, I mean, of course we could, uh, we don't want to forget the very interesting company. Um, so, and how do you see this like growing in the next couple of years? What is your vision to where, where should this be in a couple of years? Yeah. I mean, you know, so we are, uh, essentially a high growth company. Uh, we've raised two rounds of financing in the last six months. Uh, we'll probably do another one hopefully soon. Uh, and you know, so essentially what we're looking to be is the number one platform in the U S to empower people to provide these treatments in their practice. And I think we're going to be growing our tech offering. We're going to be growing all the services that come to our members. We're going to evolve with the FDA for incorporating new treatments. Uh, we're going to expand our medical protocols to facilitate multiple modes of treatment. So I think, you know, we're, we're in a really, really exciting time. Um, I think that we're providing a innovative solution. Uh, and, you know, I do want to come back on one thing that you were sort of like talking about earlier on when you talk about um, oxycodone, which turned out to be a, a huge problem here in the US. And I think that what we're doing here is really different because, uh, you know, we're supporting a container with a psychotherapist uh, and a doctor that really supports a very specific means of treatment. And so we're not a good option to score drugs. Uh, it's very onerous, very expensive. There's better ways to do it. And so that also provides another degree of safety, which I think will, um, you know, hopefully make also the regulators and the drug lift companies comfortable to work with us. Well, I think it's, it's very, I mean, especially if you watch that show on Hulu, Dope Sick, where it's really explained how this could even happen. I mean, I think it's super interesting. Um, it also could happen because it happened in a very old system that is not decentralized. So that's like pretty much everything else in this world right now, right? I mean, so um, that's interesting. The world of psychedelics uh, ultimately being, you know, psychotherapists are in their practice and they have, you know, um, EMDR, CBT, psychedelics. It's a tool. It's accessible as an yeah, adjunct to therapy. Yeah. And we're the ones who are helping them uh, incorporate that. And we're in such early days of adoption. Like if we think about an adoption curve, like this is the innovators at this point who are using it. And so I think there's so much room to tap into, you know, more traditional psychotherapists who are not already part of the movement. I think yeah. there is so much education, knowledge that can be transferred to these people to then again, expand access. And I think like, this is what we're all like as a movement working towards is to make this medicine accessible to everybody, because we all know how much they can help with healing. 
And so I think the growth is, you know, for journey, for the movement, for the planet. Like, I think the, the growth is just on so many levels that we're excited to be part of the early days of making this happen. What is your favorite substance that you're most fascinated by? Besides ketamine, of course. Personally, uh, I'm extremely excited about MDMA and psilocybin coming online. And I'm actually excited about being able to combine those at some point. I think that the combination of those two is pretty amazing. What I'm personally excited about is the opportunity of what's to come. And so there's so many new things coming along and there's no reason why these things won't overlap. And the creativity that we're going to be able to bring to these treatments and saying, you know, you know, MDMA and psilocybin are a great mix. And for people who have, you know, depression or trauma or, you know, they work very well together. And so maybe that's something that will be able to be available uh, in this context, uh, you know, legally, which is great. Personally, that's what I'm very, very excited about. I'm excited about, I like plants so much. I like all types of herbs, <laughs> like, and I'm talking like from rosemary to thyme, like very simple herbs. So everything that has to do with like, pl like plants, everything that grows in the soil, um, I think they have, these medicines have like a way of working, um, that is quite special. And so I'm really excited about all of the plant medicines. Okay. So in, in your perspective, what is the best way to actually, I'm not going to say convince, but talk to patients who might be interested in using psychedelics, but might be too scared or too kind of, you know, and entertaining the old narrative in their in their minds about like the 60s and the hippie drug so or in other words what do you think is the most important way to address this in a, in a mainstream context for patients i think that's a very important question and the answer always to me is education appropriate education and you know having a um a reasoned dialogue and using, you know, concepts that are rooted in science and, and that will help people who are, you know, maybe less inclined to adopt these treatments to get a little more comfortable. And there's a lot of data out there today, thankfully, which is showing the efficacy of these treatments uh, and the safety of these treatments. And so I think the media has done an amazing job over the last few years to really support our movement in a wonderful way. And, you know, aside from Michael Pollan's book, there's been a lot of, there's constant articles in the press every day. Uh, there's shows on television. There's a growing interest. And, and I think it's been actually extremely encouraging to see the increased demand on the patient side to have their therapist be able to adopt these uh, these treatments. So I think that continued like a reasoned and measured dialogue uh, rooted in science uh, to help people get more and more comfortable with this modality of care uh, will help expand mainstream adoption. But you know, I. I want to caveat that with one thing. I think that, uh, you know, indigenous populations, say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like supporting indigenous populations, yeah. uh, the fringe, I mean, we, we, I personally benefited from, you know, traditional ceremonial settings. And so those, those, uh, people and those offerings are very important to remember and have benefited us and should be, uh, also preserved. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important. And I think this is, you know, when you merged science with ancient traditions, I mean, some of these medicines have been around forever for as far as humanity has existed. Yeah. And so I think sure. finding a place which, which is like a, a middle way of science, which is, you know, our current medical model and what society responds to and, you know, being inclusive of ancient tradition, I think this is actually some of the power of psychedelic medicines um, and that we have a responsibility to, to really bring that forward. And, you know, when you were asking your question, one thing that came to me was you publish science up front and then people have their first experience with, let's say, CAP therapists in their office. And then it shifts because it's no longer a cognitive experience. It becomes an emotional experience. I think after a first session, it shifts from the cognitive to the emotional by simply feeling better. Like, you know, waking up in the morning, yeah, feeling yeah. good about yourself, wanting to engage with life, wanting to be present. That is enough. And so I think that the question, and this is even what I'm thinking about for journey is how to get people to their first cap session, because from there, you don't have any more work to do. Like they, they know they've experienced it because it's no longer the cognitive part. It becomes 
it's a full body experience. And from there, they feel better. They have better, you know, of course, with the psychotherapist, you start to build better relationships. You start to take better care of yourself. You start to take I mean, better the, care that's of That's the hope, at least. But I mean, what, what I think what you mean is like once you had one experience, even one, that whatever it's going to be, and mostly the ketamine in your case, it is, I mean, I think just the realization that there is a completely different way of looking into the world is just, you can't, you can't just erase that anymore, I think. So, and, and then hopefully if that experience was one where you felt safe and were guided and not like a weird, let's say, horror party experience where you're running around Amsterdam and on truffles or something. So um, hopefully not that, but if you had a good experience and, and a good set and setting, I think that is something that most people as so far, I never met anybody who said, yeah, it was good, but now I'm going back to this horrible life where I feel shitty all the time. Like nobody would ever want to come back to this. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's also important to have a system of, uh, of understanding who these treatments are appropriate for. And so yeah. that will drive uh, positive outcomes because some people will not have a positive experience potentially. Like it, yeah. it, it might not be appropriate for them. Uh, it is appropriate for a large amount of people, but that's also what we do. That's what the therapists do. And that's part of an important function to make sure that people who do this safely. And that's why I, am, I, I do sort of like drill down on being rooted in you know science and outcomes and being a pragmatic approach, reasonable approach to understanding how to administer these treatments safely and reassuring them with, you know, we're here, the support, you've got a support system. The, 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 the dynamic of having a therapist involved, I think is just tremendous because that is a person who's supporting a very important container. The, the, the patient uh, therapist uh, relationship is very, very important. Uh, and so, you know, Supporting those dynamics will help people have a much better experience. And I think the more this is communicated, the more environments and these containers are provided to the public, the more they educate themselves about it, the more people will adopt these treatments. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much. I mean, as you see, we could talk forever about this whole, I mean, it's, it's because I find it so interesting that it's no longer just the substance There's like everything else becomes connected to this emergence of psychedelics, I feel, more and more, more than two years ago, I feel. It's so cool to watch an infrastructure emerge, I think, is what really is amazing. Yeah. Like you've yeah. got all these yeah. components of, a, of an industry that are starting to come up and, you know, working together. And I think that's really fascinating. So thanks for being on a show. I knew it would be amazing. There was no doubt about it. <laughs> So thanks for, for doing this and um, talk to you very soon, hopefully. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. This was a ton of fun. It was our first uh, podcast together. So that was interesting and fun as oh, well. Uh, yeah. And uh, you okay. know, hopefully we'll get to speak again soon and see you in person. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Health Club show and please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or if you would like to sign up for our newsletter, please go to www.thenewhealthclub.de and subscribe to the newsletter. Again, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, of course, there's also a New Health Club now, or even better, sign up to our newsletter on the newhealthclub.de. I talk to you very soon.